Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the word of God. Today, I want to turn your attention to Acts chapter 17. I'm reading from the NLT. Acts 17, verse 18. Our theme this year is building a New Testament church. And we've been preaching all year long right out of the first church. The church in Jerusalem. And certainly the church in Antioch. And then the gospel spread all over the known world. And once again, we're looking to the text in Acts 17 because we want to be this church. Can I have a better amen? (laughs) We want to be this church. I'm not interested in the church of the Reformation or the church of the Great Awakening. Thank God for all of that. But I want to get to this church. I want to be this church. And to that end, I offer this message today, Acts 17, 18. And he, meaning Paul, went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. And he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. Then they took him to the high council of the city. By the way, um, Paul is in Athens. Anybody been to Athens? I know Daniel and Marissa have, and... Caitlin's been there, a few of you. Verse 19, they took him to the high council of the city. Come tell us about this new teaching, they said. You're saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as fellows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. Everybody say, very religious. You're very religious in every way. For I was walking along, as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. Paul was like, that's that's it right there. He said, this God. Whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. When they heard, verse 32, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, now it's coming to the end of his message, notice their reaction. Some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but notice the third reaction. Some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. Paul said, my fellows, I perceive that you are very religious. My message to you by the help of the Lord today, and by your help, if you'll say amen at least one time during this message... My subject today is, when the religious get saved. 
when the religious get saved. <laughs> the moment we are born into this world, we are born sinners. We can be saved from our sinful state only by our obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no salvation from sin outside or beyond our obedience to only one gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then, after we obey that gospel and we are saved from the penalty or the judgment of sin, there is an ongoing work in our lives, worked by God, by the Holy Spirit, that's called sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. Everybody say, I'm saved. Say, I'm sanctified. Doesn't that feel spiritual right there? But sanctification is a literal work of God in us. And basically, the simplest way I could say it is, yes, God loves you where you are. He loves you just like you are. God meets you at the level of your need, but he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. And so he wants you to grow. Let me use Bible language. He wants you to go on beyond salvation to sanctification. And the Bible said there are things that accompany. That's Hebrews. There are things that accompany, that come along with salvation. Look, there's nothing I can do to save myself except to obey what Jesus told me to do. Amen. And he gave Peter the keys to the kingdom. And Peter was the one that had to open the door of salvation to the three races of humanity in the scripture, the Jew, the Gentile, and the Samaritan. It was Peter who was there when the Jews received the Holy Ghost. It was Peter who was there when the Gentiles received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It was Peter who was there when the Samaritans received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so we are saved from the judgment of our sin by our obedience to the gospel. But then we go on to perfection. So you might say, we got saved, we are being saved, and we will ultimately be saved when we see him face to face. Nobody's made it yet. Nobody here has made it yet. Turn to somebody and say, you haven't made it yet. Everyone is religious, even atheists. Atheists are religious. That's ironic. In fact, it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. It takes more faith to believe in random creation than in God's order of creation. A worn out illustration, but if you took an old Swiss watch, you took it all apart, took the thousands of pieces, tossed it in a, 
a clothes dryer, turned it on for the full cycle, and all those pieces in there beating around, the chances of that watch coming out in its order are greater than random creation. If there's a watch, there's a watchmaker. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. But I do have enough faith to believe in a God who created all things. John 1.3 says, all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Everybody's religious. Everybody. God made us to be religious. Huh? There is something innate within every human being that naturally makes them want to worship something or someone or somewhere. I've told you before, C.P. Thomas, who was just here, he's told you how he came up on a, uh, a tribe of India, a remote jungle tribe of India. The police knew they were shedding blood, human blood, in their tribe, but they could not stop it. And they appealed to Dr. Thomas and said, can you go to the tribes and try to convince them to stop shedding the blood of their innocent children. And when Dr. Thomas came there, he saw a 14-year-old girl whose life had been slain. They had slit her throat. And he went to the king and said, why did you take the life of that girl? He said, for remission of sins. Someone illiterate. Someone who's never heard the name Jesus. Someone who's never opened a Bible a day in his life. Someone who's never held the Bible in his hand. Even in that deep, dark, demonic area of the world, they know. How do they know that they need to be saved? Why would a, why would a heathen know that they need remission of sin? I'll tell you why. Because they're made by God. They're created by God. And God put that purpose in them. God put that knowledge in them. God put that understanding in them that they need to be saved. And I've got to tell you today, life's greatest imperative is for you and I to obey the gospel and to be saved. Don't be born into this life without obeying it. Don't come to a house of God without obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the best thing you could ever do. It's the most important thing you could ever do. A religion is a specific belief system about God or gods. That religion then is expressed through a code of conduct, perhaps ethics, forms of worship, rituals. Religion includes social, ethical, and ceremonial elements Combined together with the belief in an unseen world and often a deity, according to Wikipedia, there are over 4,000 known religions in the world today. Your religion will largely define you. It will expose you and you will become like what or who you worship. Some people worship money. Some people worship pop culture figures. You've all seen the YouTube videos of the screaming fans over the Beatles, Elvis, Michael Jackson. I still can't believe how people act. But they, they 
become clamorously foolish as they're looking at their idol. Some worship hobbies, some careers, some worship idols, ironically made with their own hands or by an artist. Some worship Satan. Satanism is having a revival in our world today. Not all religious people embrace one of the official main or secondary religions of the world, but that doesn't stop them from being religious. Of course, there's Christians and Jews and followers of Islam and Hindus and Sikh and Buddhist and, and Scientologists and Unitarians and all of the lists that you could come up with. But everyone is religious about something. All humans believe in something. Everyone operates their life according to some value, some principle, some ethics, some persuasion. One fella explained that he absolutely believed in no absolutes. Everybody believes in something. Paul in the text, said that these inhabitants of Athens, Greece, were very religious. You might say that Athens was the popular religious and philosophical think tank of the known world. Greece was home to the likes of Aristotle, Socrates, and Plato, to name a few. It's fitting that all of the apostles that God could have sent to Athens. He sends the brilliant Paul into this arena. Who was better suited to reason and debate these intelligent, informed, religious, and natural philosophers than the well-read, well-studied, well-trained, well-educated, well-anointed, and the theologically astute Apostle Paul? Because when Paul preaches... He's not intimidated by any IQs or philosophy in the audience. When Paul preaches, you don't have to worry what he might say. When Paul preaches, he's not going to embarrass you for his lack of information. When Paul preaches, you don't have to be anxious or nervous. When Paul is confronting other religious persuasions, you don't have to fret or wonder if he will represent you well. Because Paul was biblically informed. He was experientially informed. He was culturally informed. He was academically informed. And was prepped and ready to speak to this very unique audience. His presentation was a classic it was one for the ages. Paul gave an impeccable apologetical discourse that accomplished the intended goal. And that was to bring that audience to a moment of decision. And I will tell you what the purpose of preaching is. Preaching is nothing more and nothing less than God's purpose and God's mission for your life expressed through human personality. I don't want to get in anybody's way today. I don't want the side that I part my hair on to get in anybody's way. The fact that it's, you know, turned from brown to gray, but at least it hadn't turned loose yet. 
I don't want, you know, my suit or my coordination or my bad breath or, or you know, the zit on the edge of my nose to, 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 to be an obstacle to somebody. Get your eyes off of me and get your eyes on Jesus because the purpose of preaching is to bring you to an informed place where you can make a decision about what you're going to do with the rest of your life. Praise God. So Paul's main argument for truth was centered around Jesus. He preached Jesus. He preached the resurrection. And then he preached that God was calling them to repent. <laughs> it's pretty simple. So consider the context. They bring Paul to the Areopagus, which we now call Mars Hill. It was basically a large outcropping of rock. If you Google it, I didn't have internet this morning, but if I would have, I could have showed you a picture. Paul had been reasoning in the marketplace, but they said, oh man, this guy's good. We got to bring, bring him to center stage. We, we've got to bring him to the strategic epicenter of theological thought and discourse. Religious and philosophical court was held at the Areopagus. It was known as the court of the Areopagus, which was the oldest and most revered tribunal in Athens, owing its origin to the goddess Athena. Paul was being questioned primarily by two philosophical schools of thought. The Epicureans, everybody say Epicureans. And the Stoics, say Stoics. The Epicureans were from the school of Epicurus, the son of Nicoles, who was born 342 B.C. Nicoles taught philosophy in his garden at Athens. The principal tenets of his persuasion were that the world was not made by any deity or by any design, but came into its being and form through a fortuitous concourse of atoms of various sizes and magnitude, which met and jumbled and cemented together, sort of like what we call today the Big Bang Theory, and so formed the world, and that the world was not governed by the providence of God. Through Epicur Though Epicurus did not deny the being of God, yet, he thought the world was far below God's notice. And it was beneath his majesty to concern himself with the affairs of humans on this earth. He also taught that the chief happiness of men and women lies in pleasure. His followers were called Epicureans, of which there were two sorts. Some of them were called the strict or the rigid, I would add the legalistic Epicureans who placed all happiness and the pleasure of the mind arising from the practice of moral virtue and which is thought by some to be the true principles of the Epicureans. Another group was more liberal. They were loose, or the remiss Epicureans, they were called, who understood their master in the gross sense and placed all their happiness in the pleasure of the human body, in a brutal, sensual pleasure, 
in living a voluptuous life, eating and drinking and restraining yourself from nothing. So even the Epicureans had their conservatives and their liberals. And so Paul is dealing Everybody settled now? So Paul is dealing with them, and then he's addressing the Stoics in his audience. The author of this sect was Zeno, whose followers were from the Greek word stoa, which signifies a portico under which Zeno used to walk and teach his philosophy where great numbers of disciples would come and hear him and follow him. And their chief tenets were that There is but one God, and the world was made by him, but it's governed by fate. That happiness lies in virtue, and virtue has its own reward in itself, that all virtues are linked together, and all vices are equal, and a wise and a good man is destitute of all passion, and uneasiness of mind is always the same, always joyful, and ever happy, even during the greatest tortures, pain being no real evil that the soul lives after the body and that the world will be destroyed by fire. Well, he got that one right. Would you agree that Paul had his work cut out for him? (laughs) But he was ready. Look Look at his message. Let's follow it, verse 19. They took him to the high council of the city. They said, come, teach us this new teaching. Verse 20. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. Verse 22, so Paul, standing before the council, addressed them and said, Men of Athens, I notice you're religious in every way, for as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription to the unknown God. This is the God whom you worship without knowing. That's the one I'm preaching to you today. He is the God who made the world and everything in it, Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in temples made with hands, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and satisfies every need. From one man, he created all nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold, silver, or stone. God overlooked your ignorance about those things in earlier times, but not anymore. Now he's commanding everyone to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world and justice by the man he has appointed. And he approved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Can you say amen to the word of the Lord? I love how Paul does not stand in front of the Epicureans and Stoics and tell them, you're full of it. You don't know beans. 
You don't know nothing. Sit up and listen, and I'll learn you something. No, no, no. He meets them on the common ground. He said, I was walking through your sanctuary today. I was walking through your temple. I saw all your images. I saw all of your idols. But I noticed just to cover the bases, to make sure you didn't miss all the gods, you had one with an inscription to the unknown God. He said, you've been ignorantly worshiping him. I'm so glad that Paul gave them a little credit. I'm so glad that he didn't just take everything away from them. And I want to give somebody a little credit here today. Amen. Maybe you haven't got everything right. Maybe you haven't figured out exactly how to live for God and how to serve God. But you know what? You're in the house of the Lord today. You had enough sense. You had enough grace. You had enough intelligence. You had enough desire to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. I'm declaring that Jesus Christ is the one true and living God. And I'm declaring today on authority of his word that to be saved, we must repent of our sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. And then the promise of the Holy Ghost is to us. Would you clap your hands and thank God? <laughs> Paul said, you don't even know it, but in him you've been living and moving and having your being. What does that mean? That means that you wouldn't even be born today if God didn't give you the life-giving force. Amen. The spirit giveth life, the Bible says. Amen. And each one of us are given an allotment of days. In him we live and move and have our being. Let me tell you something. Even the vilest sinner is living and moving and having their being in him. They just haven't acknowledged him yet as the Lord. They just haven't turned to him yet as the Savior. But it's God that gave the most vile sinner intelligence. It's God that put food on their plate and clothes on their back because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Hallelujah. A dog never thanks you for his meal but how many are glad you know where your help comes from where your food comes from where your intelligence comes from where your desire to even live for God comes from he did it we live in him we move in him we have our being in him I know preachers they would have never preached like that to people like that They'd have hung them out to dry. They'd have put them in hell. It's all right to preach about hell, but just don't preach like you want somebody to go there. <laughs> I pray that if I ever preach, and I need to, I don't preach enough about it. But if I ever preach about hell, I want to be weeping. Because I don't want anybody to be lost. I don't want anybody to miss it. And there's only one way to be saved. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I'm going to show you that you can even be saved and be in the house of God and be lost. Jesus taught that. I'm going to show it to you in a minute. You've got to make it, people. You don't ever want to stand. I don't ever want to stand before God. Imagine me. I've been pastoring for 40 years. 
What if I have to stand before God? Because at the last chapter of my life, I blew it. I missed it. You say, can that happen? Paul said it. This is why I discipline my body and I keep under that after I've preached to all these people, after I've preached to the Epicureans and the Stoics, after I've preached to Caesar the Emperor, after I've preached to Agrippa and Festus, the kings and the governors, after I've preached, amen, in every city and opened the gospel, opened every continent with the gospel, that I myself should become a castaway. Let me tell you something, friend. Don't ever take too much credit, amen, for why you're saved today. Don't ever say, well, I'm so glad that I made up my mind all by myself I was going to repent get baptized let me tell you something you can't even come to God unless he draws you you can't even get saved unless he wants you to be saved and he does want you to be saved today Paul said for in him we live and move and have our being and he said we feel after him That we might find him. If you want to find him today, you got to open up. you got to feel after him. You can't sit there like a wooden Indian. You can't sit there like a statue. You've got to move. you got to reach. you got to put out your feelers. you got to activate your hunger. you got to activate your faith. Come on, somebody just reach out to him right now. Just feel after him. Paul said, feel after him that happily you might find him. Somebody might find him here today. Come on, you can find him. You can find him here today. You can find him. Come on, feel after him right now. Feel after him. Oh, oh my. Oh my. Everybody okay? You may be seated. Praise God. What a message. Notice their response. There was three responses then, and there'll be three today. Some said, he's nuts. They mocked him. They made fun of him. What's a 65-year-old preacher up here Swabbing the tonsils with his microphone, screaming his head off, acting like a wild banshee. Somebody might leave here today and say, that's the most ridiculous thing. Why is he more dignified? Why didn't we have a pipe organ? Why didn't we have a choir? Now that's religion. Everything that's happened in this house today in terms of liturgical worship is right out of the Bible. Maybe except for me screaming, but the Bible does say that Peter lifted up his voice. (laughs) Why? Because he's a Pentecostal preacher, that's why. (laughs) Some mocked. Secondly, some said, we don't want to deal with this right now, but it's sort of cool. Come back another time. But certain men 
They said, this is it. God sent this rabbi from Tarsus, from Jerusalem, all the way to Greece. This is it. The Bible said they claved him. They claved to him. And they believed and joined themselves to Paul. How did they do that? Did they just start staying in the same hotel? Did they just start eating at the same restaurants and just take notes when Paul's preaching? Let me tell you how they joined themselves to Paul. The way Paul joined himself to Ananias, a certain disciple in the city of Damascus, when Ananias said, Paul, I've come to baptize you. Paul baptized them. And Ananias said, and that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit. And just like Paul laid his hands on the Ephesian elders in Acts 19, I'm sure that he laid his hands on these people. One of them, his name was Donisius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris. Listen, nobody else is named there except Those who believed. And when you diss the gospel message, when you walk away, when you hear it, and you walk, let me say it real plainly. Jesus said it would be better for Judas that he would have never been born rather than to have, in my words, kissed the door of heaven and never walked across the threshold. It would be better today that you would have never been in this house than to be in this house today and hear a simple gospel message and not obey the gospel. It would go better for you in judgment if you would have never heard the gospel. But listen, my friend, that is not an indictment on you. That is is not an injustice on you. That's a privilege to hear the gospel. Even the angels desire to look into it. The Old Testament prophets couldn't even preach it. Amen. And we're preaching it today. And if it's from God, why wouldn't you want it? And if Jesus went to the cross for you to receive it. Why wouldn't you want to receive it? Praise God. Everybody said amen. Oh, when you refuse the gospel, you don't get named. But when you obey the gospel... You get your name written, written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. Are you religious today? (laughs) If you're here today, you're religious, I guarantee you. But you may not be saved. You're in good company. You're right where God wants you. The book of Acts, which is the historic narrative of the birth of the church, details one salvation account after another. And early on, as you study them, you will notice that all of these people were religious, but they weren't saved. Acts 2.5, there was devout Jews out of every nation under heaven. Devout means religious from every nation, but they weren't saved. Until they obeyed Peter's message on the day of Pentecost. Acts 6, 7, there was a great company of priests. But then they obeyed 
they became obedient to the faith. Am I in your Bible? These are religious people getting saved. Acts 8, Philip goes to Samaria. We know they were religious because Jesus had a conversation a few months earlier with the woman at the well from Samaria. And she started talking about how they worshipped in Samaria. We know they were religious, but they weren't saved. Till Philip came down and started baptizing them. And Peter and John came and laid hands on them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 9, Saul of Tarsus, the most religious man in all Judaism. But he needed to obey the gospel. All of these religious believers were perhaps wonderful people, but they hadn't yet been baptized and filled with the Spirit until they were. Acts 10, Cornelius was devout, feared God with all his house, prayed constantly, was generous with his finances, but he wasn't saved. I wish I could get some saved people to act as saved as Cornelius was. And he wasn't even saved. Huh? I sort of hoped that would come out funny, but it sounded too serious. Don't let unsaved people live a more saved life. Don't let unsaved people outlove you, outjoy you. Come on. Outgive you. Out pray you, out dedicate you, out hunger something than you. Christians ought to live better, they ought to live higher, they ought to live more righteously, they ought to have the best attitudes in town. The Bible said, Let the redeemed of the Lord act like it. This house ought to be the most joyful house. There ought to be more joy here than any birthday party in town. There ought to be more excitement here than at 325 when the Chiefs kick off a new season. There ought to be more jumping and shouting and celebrating and partying and carrying on. Amen. Don't let unsaved people act more saved than you do. No way. Not any more excitement than right here. Amen. You may be seated. Acts 16, Acts 18, Acts 19. I could go all the way through the Acts narrative. But let me bring the message to a close. So, Luke chapter 15, we call the lost and found chapter. A lost son, a lost sheep, a lost coin. Everybody say lost and found. Some of you have lost your cell phones at the Life Church. And we get calls all the time. Oh, I forgot my phone. Just what I want to do after I've been here since 6 o'clock in the morning on Sunday is come back and unlock the door for somebody to find their phone. It's all right. It's all good. Oh, we got to have our cell phone. I don't know what we did 30 years ago, but we got to have them. We all know what it's like to lose something and find something. The lost sheep 
was not always lost. It was born into a flock by a ewe lamb, a mother. And if the sheep had a mother, it had a father, had a family, had a shepherd, a sheep fold where they would go every night, and the shepherd became the door of the sheepfold. It was just an open place where he would sleep and where he would protect the sheep at night and keep away the predators and the natural enemies of the sheep, right? But that sheep decided it was going to stray, wander. Maybe it wasn't paying attention. Maybe the flock moved on and it didn't move on and it got interested in a little green clump of grass. And suddenly it looks up and can't see the flock and can't hear the voice of the shepherd. And perhaps it spends a fearful, scary night alone on the edge of a ravine with predators all around. And the Bible said the shepherd left the 99 safe and he went and found the sheep. The sheep still had a mother and father. The sheep had a fold. The sheep had a shepherd. But the sheep just wasn't where it needed to be. It was not in relationship. It still looked like a sheep, smelled like a sheep, bought like a sheep, acted like a sheep. Huh? But it was lost because it was out of relationship. And I want to tell some listener some observer today. This is the hardest I've ever said it since COVID. But if you're not here, if you're not among the flock, if you're not in proximity to the under-shepherd, you could be lost. Jesus said that sheep was lost. But he went after it. And I wish you would start returning my text messages and my phone calls. I'm not the, she- I'm not the great shepherd. I'm just the under-shepherd. But I want you to make it. I want you to be saved. I want you to come back to the flock. Are you listening to me today? It's time to come back to church. I know you went to Walmart. I know you went to the doctor's office. I know you went and got gas in your car. But it's time to come back to the house of God. Don't. Be lost. Don't be religious. You won't be saved without the church. You won't be saved without a pastor. You won't be saved without an under-shepherd. Jesus said you're lost. Everybody all right? And then there was a lost son. He had a dad, a mother, an older brother, a nice house, a farm, a business, a future. He said, give me my inheritance, I'm out of here. And Jesus said, when he went out to the far country, that's the world, he spent his inheritance in wine, women, and the world. He experienced everything. He didn't hold back anything. He experienced it all. 
He wanted to touch the world. He wanted to feel the world. He wanted to experience the world. And how many people do we know have been saved by the grace of God and have left the Father's house? I want you to know that, that if they turn their back on the church, they say, well, I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. Listen, it doesn't work that way because he is the founder of the church. He's the purchaser of the church. You say, well, I don't like organized religion. Well, then don't ever get a job. Because your job will be organized even if you're flipping burgers at McDonald's. It's organized. We're doing the best we can. The life church isn't a perfect church, and if you find one, don't join it because you'll ruin it. And the prodigal son, he had to feel enough pain to realize how good he had it. And people won't change until the pain to change is less than the pain to stay the way they are. And when he was face down in a pigsty, he couldn't even eat. He was so hungry. He said, I will arise and go to my father, and I'll just be a servant. And I'm so thankful. He knew the spirit of that father. He knew the attitude of that father. He knew his father wouldn't reject him. In fact, he was watching for him a long ways off. Are you glad that's the kind of a savior we have? He's not going to judge us. He's not going to throw us away. Let's just get honest and come back home. And the Bible said the father ran he ran to him but as long as he was in the world he might have had a father and a mother but he was lost he say well I'm not the sheep I'm not the son I've never left the house well Jesus has you covered too he talked about one more lost thing he said there was a lost coin. You see, in those days, a woman, before she was married, she would be given a dowry. And in this case, she apparently was wearing that dowry like a band around her head. And in each place, there was a coin attached to some apparatus. And one day, maybe she was cleaning, maybe she was washing dishes. I don't know what she was doing. But she was in the house and she turned her head suddenly and one of the coins flew off its place and it rolled into a dark corner. But it was still in the house. It wouldn't be on the walls of the house. It was in the house. And the Bible said she swept the house. She searched until she found it. And she threw a party when she found it. And the, and the shepherd threw a party when he found the sheep. And the father threw a party when the son came back. And I wonder if there's somebody that's lost in the house today. You're just not in the right place with God. You're just not in the right relationship with the body of Christ. Why don't you get it under the blood today? Why don't you get in right relationship today? Amen. Don't, don't let somebody steal your walk with God. Don't let some ridiculous attitude. Listen, listen. I made up my mind a long time ago. I'm not going to let you get in my way. I'm not going to let you stop me. I'm not going to let your bad attitude. I'm not going to let, if the youth pastor doesn't let my grandkids sing in the youth choir, I'm not going to get a bad attitude. Praise God. Amen. If I didn't get my way in the business meeting, if I didn't like the, what the preacher said on Sunday, I'm going to give him a pass. 
past because I got to be saved. I want to make it. I want to make heaven my home. Hallelujah. I don't want to be just religious. I want to be saved. You can come and go to church and be religious, but are you saved? Would you stand with me? You know, I grew up pretty religious. I grew up pretty religious. My dad was a called preacher. He actually was a teacher in the five-fold ministry. My sweet sister that played the organ today, we grew up in an amazing home. We went to church Tuesday night, Thursday night, Friday youth service, Saturday hobby club, which was two or three hours on Saturday afternoon for kids in the neighborhood and the church. Sunday morning, Sunday school, then church, then Sunday night service. I was religious. We went to church camp two weeks, Sunday to Sunday to Sunday. Every year, and most people took their vacations to go. You could never get that done today. No way. Most camps are like free nights now. I had a little... Could I get somebody to come to the keyboard? I had a, I had a little uh, Christian habit thing. My, my nine-year-old Sunday school teacher, Jesse Norris, made for us kids. I still can see it. It had construction paper on the outside it was yellow and on the inside there was you know Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday Saturday Sunday and then in the left hand column there was prayed read my Bible fasted witness gave an offering nine years old I'm learning Christian habits still doing them today I was very religious very religious. I grew up in the home of a preacher. We had family altar. I got called in off the ball field all the time. That was the call, the holy call. It didn't matter if it was the bottom of the ninth. Bases loaded, two outs, three to tie, four to win, and I was batting with a full count. Sorry, guys, got to go. Drop the bat, take off. Why? Because I loved him. I respected him. And he kept putting groceries in the refrigerator that I enjoyed to eat. Clothes on my back. And then we'd be backing out of the driveway to go to church. I'd be sitting between my two sisters. This is in the late 60s, you know, when they piled their hair up like beehives. They were the original twin towers of New York City. I'd be sitting between them in the back seat. I remember we backed right up into the street, street ball field. My friends would be looking right in the car. I was embarrassed. until I grew up and got some sense and now I love it now I thank God for it I was so religious one Sunday night 
1964. I was seven years old. I hadn't paid attention to the sermon. My pastor was a one-hour preacher, sort of like I am almost today, not quite. And I remember seeing this. I'm like, oh, thank God. Something happened to my seven-year-old heart. I was sitting over here by my mom. I left her. I went down to the altar. I wish the church, they tore the church down, but I had somebody go get a brick for me. I got a brick in my office from my old church, Hagen, Victoria. And I got to go back for years, and I went to the spot. And they had a strip, a metal strip, like right here, except the altar was about this high. A metal strip like this that sort of kept the carpet, red carpet, tucked in. And in the wintertime, if you didn't pick your feet up and walk to the altar and you knelt down, you shuffled your feet, you would have a shocking experience. But I didn't care. I remember... I could get on this side of the platform and I'd help and I lifted up my hands and suddenly tears just started falling out of my eyes. I didn't know what was going on. I'd never felt this in my life. I still remember hearing my dad's voice. He was right there. And then his big old hand came down on my head. First time I ever remember my dad praying with me like that in church. And I wept. I wasn't embarrassed. I didn't care if my friends saw me. What was happening? I was going beyond being religious. But thank God that religion brought me to a place where I could have a relationship. Where I could have an encounter with God. And I watched my little grandchildren. I saw little Melina not too long ago weeping and praying. I'm like, yeah, I know what's going on there. Her family's religious, but she's going on now to a relationship. She's learning how to plug in to God. And if you understand that, friend, listen, don't, don't, don't disparage your religion. Don't disparage your disciplines. I'm going to tell you something. There's something to be said for the Ten Commandments. It'll make you a better person, and the world will be a better place if they don't obey the Ten Commandments. Don't give me that legal junk out of the Old Testament. I'll preach a good sermon on the Ten Commandments. Something happened when we took them out of the schools. But religion will never save you. Only a relationship. Are you lost in the house today? Let's all close our eyes and lift our hands. I want you to just plug in right now. He's not far from any one of us. Feel after him that you might find him. Come on, just make sure you're okay. Just reach out. Just, just reach out for a touch. Come on, how long has it been since you wept? How long has it been since your heart was broken in the presence of God? Are you going beyond religion today? <laughs> Let me tell you something. The Life Church is not about religion. We're about relationship. We're about Jesus. We're about plugging into Him. We're about seeking Him that we might feel after Him and find Him because He's not far from every one of us. Come on, open up your mouth. Come on, young man. Come on, young ladies. Come on, mom and dad. Come on, senior adults in this house. Don't be lost. Don't be lost. 
Oh, I wish somebody would cry out to the Lord today. Because relationship is where it's at. Relationship. Relationship is where it's at. That's it. Go ahead. Pursue relationship with Him right now. Don't leave this house without contacting God. I watched my father-in-law stand right up in the middle of a quartet concert and say, Brother Gleason, would it be all right for me to lift my hands and worship my God right now? That's what I'm talking about. A relationship with God. Come on, somebody cry out. Don't, Don't matter who's around you. Don't let anybody intimidate you. If they want to be lost, let them be lost. If they want to have religion, let them have religion, but not you. Not you. Go ahead and pursue relationship. If you sense the presence of God today, thank Him for it. Give Him glory for it. Go ahead. Close your eyes. Open your heart. Open your mouth. Just keep it real with Jesus. Just keep it real with Jesus. Hallelujah. Religion will never save this world. Religion will never make a disciple. Only relationship will reach this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on, everybody in the house, reach out to him. He's not far from you right now. He's not far from you. He's not far from you. Oh, I see relationship out there. I see relationship with God all over this house today. Don't leave here disconnected. Don't leave here out of place. Don't leave here lost. He wants to find you. And you want to find him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.